It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. But yeah, I'm still pissed about the moon board, actually. What's the deal with the moon board at the, at well, they the took, Yeah, gym. it's gone. It's gone. Why'd they take it down? I have no idea. There's like some vague notion. I don't know that it, that it was like, you know, it got replaced. There's, there's a, um, but there's a kilter board. The, yeah. There's a kilter board and that's what everybody uses. Uh-huh. And then there's a, this thing called a decoy board. Mm. I never exactly. heard of that. Yeah. No, I've never heard of it either. And nobody uses, I mean, every once in a while somebody's on that. And then they have a big, like this massive grasshopper board. That's like mm. the biggest, most expansive grasshopper board that you can can get and so it's got like side panels attached to the regular like you it's know, like whatever, a 12 by 12 yeah but there's hardly any problems that use the extras because no gyms have them so nobody's right. setting pro- problems for them I mean, other than grasshopper themselves but okay but i did discover the roots on both the kilter board and the grasshopper board do you know about like the roots the, yeah um I haven't done them myself, but yeah, I'm kind of vaguely aware that there's yeah, like loops. Like, well, not just loops, but like you well, the kilter board, you like go and it, you have someone and it lights the holds as you're going along and it goes, you know, can go all oh, over that's the place. Awesome. It's not just like a circle that you do over and over again. And then the grasshopper board, okay. you'll be climbing like basically a set lit up set. And then it goes forward to the next like panel vert. Of, of holds so you can continue on like the lights shift to the next set how, and then you go down and around and around how do the lights know how fast you're climbing well you have to either have somebody doing it for you or it's got a you can set a time like uh, a speed and so if you're okay. working on something you can kind of figure out like how slow or how fast it needs to be for you it's a little tricky i, I don't i'm gonna admit i don't love the grasshopper board but mm-hmm. now i'm into this part of it because it's epic. Like, you know, you can do, you know, these 40 and 50 move routes on it and that kicks your ass. So I'm kind of into that part of it now. I hope that the, um, speed setting is, is on a scale from Steve Hong to Adam Andra being the fastest <laughs> and Steve Hong being the slowest setting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be deep, some deep, deep insight. Um, yeah. Especially with the Hong thing. Um, that's yeah, old news. Nobody, yeah, probably most smooth, people yeah. don't know that, but he's like one of the slowest climbers in the world it, by his mm-hmm. own admission too. He just can, yeah, he yeah. just kind of sloths his way up a route. Yeah. It's super old school. Like no dinoing, no like slipping of feet, and pogoing the leg. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it's anyway, like watching but, uh, molten, molten lava go, go uphill. Yeah. I still, I still believe that the, the holds on the moon board, though, are the most outdoor-like of the boards, and that's what that's I kind what of you miss like. about it. Yeah, and 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 yeah. like I I'm, I understand the the sort of training reason for a symmetrical board, which mm-hmm. the grasshopper is and this decoy thing is, but it just adds one more like scientific element that like sucks the interest out for me like i I will Mm -hmm. never 
be this person who like does a problem then flips it and you know to work the this you know muscles the same way on the other side like do it again like that's just not the way I climb. I'm just not interested in that kind of drudgery, you know? Well, you also presumably lose half the variety of the holds if you if you have a mirror board. Right. Yeah. So it's, totally. it's half as interesting. Yeah, Chris, I don't know. Why don't these companies just come to us and ask us what they should be doing? Because I feel like I don't, we have better opinions than most people. I'm, it's more the gym. I mean, I'm still like, there's a lot of people that were irate that the moon board disappeared. Because it's, yeah. like it's still like kind of the standard. I mean, it's old. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that was the deal. Everybody climbs in the kilter board. That's the problem is, is you go in there and that's the one that's getting like broed to death. And so I right. definitely don't like to dip <laughs> into that scene. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I like the kilter board. Don't get me wrong. It's just like I can't go in and climb with like, you know, six or seven. I don't care who they are. Nicest people in the world. I'm just not not into yeah, taking you're not turns a like that. Yeah. You're so. not a bro. You're not a kilter bro. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, <laughs> that's the whole story of the boarding. It's so alien to me, but anyway. Well, it's good to hear that you're getting some training in despite your moonboard, lack of a moonboard in your life. Yeah, it took me a while to get get yeah. Honestly, it was kind of kick, it kicked the it kicked the legs out from underneath my um at least that kind of training for a while just its loss. Um because mm-hmm. I'd built up you know, I'd been working on it. I had my, my, my warm-ups and my circuit problems, and I'd figured them all out and done them, and, and then I'd just start over, and I don't know. It, it would definitely hurt a little bit, so I'm back a little bit. Well, you can come uh, come down to my garage and climb on the moon board here at on your, um, the Bishop your, House. Your shut, your cut-off moon board? Yeah, what, it's, what a, set, it's a stunted what one. What set do you have? You know, I, I just switched back to the 2016 setup. Which one is that? Does that have the big red bulbs on it? No, okay. no, but it does. Um, but I do have that hold set, and I mm. screwed some of those big jugs on the missing um, holds in the 2016 setup. So it kind of gives. Okay. There's a way to like warm up on the board that's friendlier than the normal 2016 setup, um, okay. which I like. So it, yeah, it's my my it's you can almost barely call my thing a moon board at this point. It's like a well, you, mon- you don't have like the light. hybrid monster. I don't have the lights. Yeah, how do you even know where to go? <laughs> it's like the my, fucking iPhone. Like I cannot, I cannot yeah. boulder without the lights anymore. <laughs> I I built this thing right at the cusp of the lights being introduced to the to mm-hmm. the moon board, and at the time I was, I actually emailed with Ben Moon about it, and he's like, dude. Whatever you do, just like make sure you get the, you know, like order the lights. They're not out yet, but they're or drill holes that are going to be set so that you can screw lights in. And I was like, I'm not doing that shit. That seems like too complicated. I'm not going to, you know, it just seemed like too much. Um, but in yeah. hindsight, it was probably, I, I probably should have done that. It's pretty sweet. I mean, yeah. no board is ever going to be made without lights ever again. You know, I know mine is like an but, old school charm. It's like, um, yeah, you know, using true. a phone booth or something. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Without the freaking, you know, it's whatever. small and cramped Germs. and confined and right. It doesn't work as well. Um, what are we here to talk about? I don't know. At th- the boards. Well, we're kind of in the, in the afterglow of new year's Eve. And, um, so there's some obvious, topics around new year's that i think we can talk about do you have goals for this year chris i do i have i have some uh 
you know, I wouldn't call them resolutions because it was something I'd already sort of been thinking about much prior to the uh, the new year. So, but um, but I, I decided okay, well, before, that before before you before you share well, them, okay, let me interject yeah. um, because. I'm just kind of s- setting you up to be a punchline to my joke right now. Um, but okay. I, in, well, I have right a before for you too. So, Oh, good. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> right before uh, new year's, I, I, um, messaged a bunch of professional climbers to see what their like goals were going to be in 2023 or resolutions or whatever. Just thinking I would get some kind of clickbaity article out of it. And, literally every single one of them wrote me back and was like, I don't have goals. I don't set goals are useless. Only losers set, set goals in climbing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, there we go. <laughs> did you hear it? I did. Okay. Do you know the history of the laugh track? It's actually really fascinating. Look it up sometime. Uh, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Well, the invention of it, and then the 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 creation of the standard one that's like almost always used um, yeah. was all this one dude who invented oh, wow. the technology to do it, and then like his basic laugh track is the one that's like almost everywhere. So wow. Anyway, um. All right. So losers only losers set goals. Is that what only losers set goals? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't, didn't we just have? Have, or are we about to have uh, Hazel Finley contradict that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, right. she she was actually the one exception. She wrote me back and actually shared <laughs> a, a goal for herself in in twenty twenty three. So she was the one professional climber I reached out to who who actually had there a you go. had a response to that. There's your clickbaity headline: <laughs> Hazel <laughs> Finley's Hazel. biggest loser of yeah. professional climbers. <laughs> 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 well these aren't goals dude okay in, this, in the traditional sense it's it's pretty simple and it, it came out of a thing i complained about earlier about punting all all fall like punting mm. on my projects and things i, I saw and that i just this is going to sound dumb but it's it's very specific and i have a very specific idea of what it means but i want to try harder mm-hmm this year or, and it's more like this season like in the spring like when it's time to start climbing outdoors hard i want to try harder i want to like talk myself into trying harder because i think i've i've like talked myself out of that like i you know what i mean it, it, i feel like i've i've you know gone so far in the it's okay if you don't climb as hard anymore kind of thing like it's all right like climbing's fun and you just should have fun like i've talked myself out of the you know the the moment of truth like bearing down redlining you know eyes rolling in the back of your head type of trying that mm-hmm. i don't know i just feel, i feel like maybe i've lost that that feeling a little bit and so that's my goal is not just like in the moment but also don't wimp out when it's you know the weather's not perfect and everything doesn't lie like fight against the dying of the light basically right. is my 2023 sort of vow because I just kept not quite putting these things together. And I think I've made myself too okay with that. And I mm-hmm. got to go back to being bummed out or being like, I got to try here to like a muerte. Right. I don't have no more a muerte. So yeah. that's my goal for, for 2023 is Get a muerte. Get your a muerte back. Yeah. 
and it, it it doesn't exactly have to do with training or being in shape or anything. It it's all like a mental thing of mm-hmm. you know just not willing to give up. And I've talked to so many climbers. I mean, Amity Warm, I had her on the Enorma Cast recently, and that's really her superpower. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, she's incredibly athletic, and you know, was a gymnast and all that stuff. But I think her superpower is that, and I think she that's what she says too. It's just like I mean, she tore her labrum on her red point of the honeymoon is over on on the diamond and just mm. on the red point and just was like fuck it something just happened to my shoulder but i'm gonna finish the pitch right. you know so i mean that's like i don't know if i need to go that far but that yeah, kind of maybe, thing you know maybe maybe go right up to that point go right up to yeah, the I'm, labrum I'm prob- tear, but yeah. not all the way through yeah but i'm gonna yell more i think okay you know it's right, distasteful yeah. as i this. find that yeah, I know. That's you're gonna be there, and you're gonna have to kind of hold me to it. And okay. if I don't, if if I go up there and like, you know, and I'm all sketching out and like take when I should have just kept going. I need to hear from you. I need you to tell me like that was the opposite of what you you vowed to do, Caloose. Mm-hmm. Like you did not try. And uh, anyway, see if do I you, have any excuses for it. I I will have no problems. Um, you know ripping you to shreds um but yes, do you want to do you want a safe word for if i go too far <laughs> <laughs> here it's like this it's more of a safe uh it's a more of a safe tone it's gonna be like this andrew andrew <laughs> <laughs> That's a good goal, Chris. I, I'm um and I'm inspired by your by that goal. I think that's a great one. Um, well, you I were around me this fall, and you saw me yeah, do saw. what I'm talking about. You know, Just yeah, like, go limp. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you punted. I mean, everyone punts, and so it wasn't like that unusual. Right, right. But I think it the more important thing, especially with you know, given our stage in life and having all the other things that we have going on. It's a good goal to just be like, you know, oh, I've got three hours, but I'm going to, you know, go out and like make the most of it and like actually give my project a real solid effort and not like fuck around with some like dumbass, like half assed you know, faux red point thing or just like a working burn or whatever. I'm just going to like try sure. to do it. And um, yeah. that war, it's kind of like a warrior mentality is what you're, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're describing. Exactly. Which, yeah. yeah. Though, and it's it's funny you say warrior because I also think of Wharton. Mm. It's Whartoning it because Josh Wharton, as a father, is like the king of the you know he gets it done like he doesn't mess around. Now there's a whole other thing, a lot of other stuff going on there too. But I've seen that guy try harder than just about anybody I know, and mm-hmm. he gets results. So, yeah, he is. I mean, he's an amazing climber and he trains a lot, but whatever. Yeah. He's still in the moment of truth. He he goes, you know, I'm where to, even if it's on just some junky route, you know, at Hogwarts or whatever, like right. he does it. So yeah. anyway, cool. I don't think anyone would say that about me. That's the thing. I don't think any, anyone like I, I can get complimented on my climbing and you've complimented me, which I appreciate, but that's not the realm that people think of. I don't think they don't like, oh yeah, fucking Calouse just tore it up. Right. Yeah. No one's ever you said that about night, me either. Andrew. <laughs> hey Miles. Hi, How you doing? I like your skeleton PJs. Miles, your dad is going to go on Muerte this year. 
Just like your skeleton PJs. Hmm? <laughs> what do you want to say? Burr, burr, the eyes are so cold. Two creatures turn snow. Burr, burr, the eyes are thanks to that was awesome. Wow. <laughs> Good job, Miles. <laughs> what? Who's that? You know who that is. That's Piper's daddy. Piper's sleeping, though. Where you should be, too. Go up and go to bed. All right. Good night. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a de-icer song. Okay. The de-icer burr, song. Burr, burr, so cold. 32 degrees and below. Water freezes, you know. It's about the de-icer. So. Is it like a jingle? No, it's uh, part of truck tunes, dude. <laughs> okay. It's the, the sickest. Yeah, it's sick. <coughs> um, but that's his favorite one, and he... So anyway, you were about to um, concur or whatever with the with the drop with the oh, putting yeah. the hammer down thing. Yeah, no one's ever said that about me as well. Is what I was saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it'd be nice, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it'd be nice if people said nice things. Um, but you know, I mean, it's just a stylistic thing, you know, but. Anyhow, that's my that's my resolution. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we can check in in like June after the the spring spring climbing season's over and and see, see if anything happened. Um, I will give you a report card. Hopefully, yeah. Both my uh, I'll have like have had dual shoulder surgery. <laughs> be like, fuck, dude, you should have just let go. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's going to be on your tombstone. He went a muerte. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a muerte. Or should have let go. <laughs> yeah, should have let go. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you got? Well, I didn't have any goals because I thought that they were for losers. Um, mm-hmm. But given that I knew we were going to talk about this tonight, I, I jotted down some some ideas for myself. And I thought you, I could just read them to you and you could tell me what you think of my chances are of um, accomplishing okay. them. So first up is second ascent of silence. Not likely. Okay. Well, that's your opinion. I mean, how many frequent flyers miles do you have? Not a lot. Cause, yeah, because that alone could be a definitely de- a deterrent to your sending <laughs> silence. Like, it's not a cheap ticket, I don't think, to go to Norway. Well, you only need one. Yeah. Um, one and done. All right. Well, moving on to my next one. Climb 510 trad and Crocs. You could do that. Is it easier than the first goal or harder? Well, you know, you're talking to a crack climber. I think it's far easier. Okay. Um, I think you could climb up. There, there's plenty of 510s, especially if you if you wrapped them with tape in the creek. <laughs> that would be almost easier with those. Is that cheating? <laughs> no, it's not cheating. Haven't you been watching this whole Bartlett Draw saga with uh, Brittany Gorris and and our, oh, our no. friend Laura Sabrin? No. Yeah, they've been trying to repeat um, Mason Earl's five fourteen crack, and they have been doing the same thing. Um, putting they tape their feet up. They actually, oh, yeah. I think I think they have a, like slippers on, and then 
there's a point on the climb where they reach down and pull one of their shoes off or something. I think that's the way Mason did it. And then their toes are taped to go into the crack because your toes are obviously thinner than the, even the thinnest shoe. So, mm-hmm. and they, I don't think, I know neither one of them sent, but they worked on it all fall, like beat themselves into the dirt. These two trying that crack. So, so yeah, taping up your feet is legit. Then taping your shoes is legit too. your Crocs. Um, my other goal, my next goal is I think pretty achievable. It's get a yellow Patagonia shirt and eat more carrots slash hope for the best. <laughs> I think so. I think you can do that. Yeah. I, I want to so see too. that. I want to report back on that. I also would love to start a reality television show with Jason Momoa. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> I think I Have can you do seen that it? this year. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, I've Have, seen a couple it, episodes. Is it I've out? Seen. Like I could go watch it? No, it it comes out soon. We um we got a screener for it. Um, sure. That sure. um yeah, it's just like an advanced preview and it's you know, I'm a fan of reality shows so in general, like and it kind of mm-hmm. is really well slotted into that genre and um I don't want to give anything away. Um but sure. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's pretty You're good. You're on an embargo. Actually, I um had a conversation with um with a producer in the in the climbing world, um who I'll leave unnamed, but a, a guy who's kind of in the media business. And he thinks that this uh, show with Sharma is going to be bigger than Free Solo, is what he said. No Just way. in terms of like, you know, and it's not, obviously it's not going to win like an Academy Award or anything, or nor could it. But it'll be, it'll just be get more eyeballs. It'll be the thing that more people are talking about. It's just, it's going to be a big thing that is going to expose people to climbing at a scale that's bigger than like Free Solo or whatever. <sighs> <laughs> well, if it means more patrons for the run out then i'm all i'm all in i don't care Let's yeah just exactly this thing into the ground so in the episodes you saw like percentage of momoa with shirt on versus shirt off what would you say the percentage is um that's a good question um i have shirt blindness so i didn't notice oh. um <laughs> but I don't think he's he's actually not quite he's not a very prominent character in the show, which is kind of one of the okay. big surprises. He's actually he kind of dips in and out as like um, to have these like wistful conversations about you know the meaning of climbing and everything with Chris, and then and then mm-hmm. but then Chris and um, and uh, Megan Martin are the hosts of the show, and they're kind of leading sure. the, the the reality TV part of it. All but right. we're going to be talking yeah, I mean, about that. Got, I'm for, I'm sure. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I he's I mean reality TV. I mean I know he loves climbing. He's buddies with Chris, but it's a little beneath him, frankly. Jason. Yeah, I've heard that reality shows are like the best gig in Hollywood. Like it's like the really? least amount of work, the most money. It's like fun, and it's like one of the the most like cush jobs you could do. You just like, I, I agree with that, but I mean, you know, it's like you're not going to see like Christian Bale do a fucking reality <laughs> show, are you? I mean, there's a certain like if you want to be in the playing the big leagues of like movie making, you got to like have a standard, right? Yeah, exactly. Who's the uh, Dan- Daniel? Um, who's that actor I'm thinking of? Oh, Daniel um, Day Lewis. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, fuck Daniel no Day Lewis is that Daniel guy would never show. do. Yeah. <laughs> He's like straight from there will be blood to yeah. to like you know 
<laughs> fuck boy island. wife swap or whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is this line it's like the milkshake yeah i drink your milkshake <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing i drink your milkshake i drink it up um all right next goal is get a beanie and a, t- a tattoo sleeve Mm. It would, it would like bring joy to my heart if you did. Um, I don't see it happening though. The beanie, we get you a beanie. What about tattoo sleeve? You don't think that would help my climbing? No, I don't <laughs> think so. How about a barb? How about barbed wire around your bicep? <laughs> All right, I'll think about that one. I'm going to workshop that a little more. Um, next goal is. Learn to love the quad. <laughs> I think that could be your goal too, Chris. Yeah, I'm down with that. Like I said, like I said in that show, I, I don't want to be the stick in the mud. I don't want to be the old guy unwilling to learn anything new. So mm-hmm. um, I'll explore the quad if I must. All right, maybe this is the I year mean, not of the on quad sport for climbing us. anchors. Yeah, <laughs> everywhere. That's, I mean, everywhere. Honestly, the, pro- the the true problem with me adopting the quad is that I. That, that kind of climbing is not a big part of my life going out and doing big routes. And I just, I mean, it's, I don't see it being useful for sport climbing or, or crack sport climbing, which is what I do, you know, mm-hmm. two bolts next to each other, like put a pair of draws on it, be done with it. You're off to a bad start with learning to love the quad this year, Chris. <laughs> I'm in quad denial already. <laughs> I'm like coming up with excuses already. Yeah. You need to <laughs> change, your, change your mindset. We could use the crack clinics to, to, to help our quad love grow because we get a lot of clients on those that love the quad mm-hmm. and they usually show us how it's done because mm-hmm. we like try to do it and they're like, no, 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 that's not how it goes. <laughs> they're like, what are we paying you for? Oh, they um, get the quad plus one out, which is like the latest quad where you add like a, you add like a clove hitch somewhere and it makes it, you know, ooh. 2% better okay. or something, you know, quad plus one. <laughs> Um, the quint the squad <laughs> uh, alright and my last goal for the year is to finally find out what, what is my Don Wall I've been searching for so long Chris true do we is a Don Wall relevant anymore no not not now that there's um reality shows with Jason Momoa <laughs> <laughs> have you got any calls by the way calls for what you stunt doubling for Momoa I have not, you know, I've thought about that more since you made that comment and, um, and I think that it's exactly spot on and it's surprising that, uh, someone hasn't reached out by now, but I'm holding out hope. Well, I, I mean, he has to do the climbing movie first or that it has to be booked, but, mm-hmm. um, it's, I mean, honestly, like I'm looking at you on the screen right now and you're like <laughs> spitting image of Jason Momoa. I mean, if you had a wig on and <laughs> this is where the sleeve tattoo fits into this conversation. Exactly. Although they can just henna those on um, right. for the shoot. But, um, but anyway, if anybody from his production company or whatever is listening, you could definitely, who else would it be? Like, tell me somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Name a better look alike than Andrew Bisharat. What about Sam? He's too skinny. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> You got the bulk. 
Imagine though, if they fucking put you into that program where they just fed you and all you did was work out all day, you would just you would balloon up with I would muscle thrive. so fast. I would thrive yeah. in that mo- in that situation. It'd be insane. Yeah, that would be totally. my Don Wall. So, that would that's your Don Wall is becoming Momoa's climbing double. <laughs> the the guy that they ragged all off the cliff and indiscriminately exactly. don't give a fuck if he lives or dies. Well, happy New Year. Happy New Year, Chris. I applaud you in your in your quest to be more amuerte and more warrior like. And thank you. I I also respect that you think I look like Jason Momoa. Hazel Finlay is a professional British climber who's free climbed El Cap, climbed E9, whatever that means, did the third ascent of Magic Line in Yosemite, among many other incredible achievements. She's the founder of Strong Mind Climbing, which offers mental training, workshops, and other resources for climbers. And check out our show notes so you can get on the wait list for her flight school so you can learn how to manage your fear of falling. Chris, do you have any things that you want to talk about with Hazel that are on your mind? We yeah, no, I have no idea before. why she's on the show. Okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Hazel's no, on the I show because we love talking to Hazel. And I know. Well, we just love fans. her voice. I could, you know, those, those I apps. I hate my like, voice. I hate I my voice. I know what you do. So I, I know weird. you do. You tell me that all the time. But like, if there was a calm, like, you know, the calm app, if it was just you, like telling me what you had for breakfast and stuff. It would just to calm me down. So yeah, it was, I, I think like that's it. only Americans that say that though. Cause we, I made some meditations for people who do our online course and all the Americans are just like, I just love your voice so much. Like it's just the best voice for meditation. And I'm like, I just, I don't think that myself and I wouldn't, I don't think any of my friends here in the UK would say that either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might just be your accent that is seducing mm. us. No, yeah. there's more to it. <laughs> Don't you think there's more to it? It's like there's like this casualness about it that's just anyway. Hazel's got a very calm uh persona. I know. It's just, just like exudes I said. from your from your being. It's yeah, just hiding love... a world of turmoil. <laughs> yeah. I actually I, I when when I was hanging out around when you were um doing that fucking crack in oh, Moab. Yeah. Um, I saw I saw a glimpse of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was probably my, one of my worst <laughs> routes, I would say. Actually, yeah, you were not fucking having a good time after no. the, by the end of that thing. No, <laughs> but it was cool. I learned a lot from that process, though. It was it was good in the long run. One of those ones that like you bounce back stronger from, mm-hmm. but wasn't actually that fun at the time. <laughs> As a mental training coach. You have to have those moments, I think, to figure it out for yourself and be able to help other people. Totally, yeah. Yeah, you've got to be able to relate for sure. But you, it's also a balance because if, if you're always having a hard time, then you know your processes don't work. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> so so you, if you're always struggling, then you, you kind of need to up, update hmm. what you're doing for yourself and what you're teaching others as well. Uh, we're talking about you doing Concepcion or whatever Concepcion in uh, Moab uh, as as an example of like struggling a little bit. Can you compare that to 
an example where you either expected a hard process and it was it went you know really smoothly, or an example of just enjoying enjoying a hard hard climb versus sort of trench warfare you got into on that with conception. I mean, mo- most the time it doesn't go like that for me. That that was a kind of a rare experience, but I think it was mostly because I wasn't having a good time in the rest of my life. Mm. I was having a bit of a shit time in my life in general. So then I wanted to find a climb easy to achieve something to kind of make myself feel better. It's a bit like when you eat cake when you're unhappy or you're down, right? It was kind of that situation. And then when the climb took way longer than I expected it to, because it was just hard for me, you know, like <laughs> that time, it was just a really hard climb for me. Those two things compounded and made that process really difficult. But it was kind of cool because that same year I did Magic Line and I like basically one of my goals for Magic Line was to like not have that happen again. Like I just really wanted to enjoy the process. And that was one of the the main like outcomes that I actually wanted from it. What's the point in doing it if I can't enjoy the process? So even if I don't do it, I want to come away with that, you know, and then working on that mindset going into it was so important rather than doing what so many climbers do. And the only like, look at their mindset when they're in the trenches, as you say, it's like, it's all exciting, a project at the start. And then when it takes a month longer than you thought, or a year longer than you thought, you're not ready to have that hard conversation. Whereas if you do the mindset work first, you're better prepared. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So had, had um, Adamantra onsighted conception at that time when you were pulling yeah. your hair out on the route? Yeah, I'm sure that yeah. made it much worse for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at least it was Adamantra though and not um, <laughs> Alex. Because that's usually what happens, like the stuff that, that Alex usually solos, the stuff that I'm like psyched to a flash or psyched to a red pointed quickly or something and i'm like oh he soloed it down <laughs> you you had a great last year hazel and uh you know you mentioned alex and you went on a big expedition with him to greenland we talked about that on our show last episode with alex a little bit you know he was very congratulatory and just said great things about you as a partner so you guys climbed a wall that had never been done before one of the biggest in the world pre- pretty much um it sounded like a pretty harrowing experience on some level so why don't you give us the the uh overview of of that trip yeah it's a pretty unusual trip it was six weeks long and we were moving for those six weeks see like i think usually when people go on expeditions it's like you have a base camp that you do everything from and like you know then you gotta get your stuff from the base camp to the bottom of the wall and then you climb the wall and you come back to the base camp but this was like we were moving along and what made that possible was helicopter support, but the helicopter support wasn't very reliable. So yeah, we actually climbed two new big walls. The first wall was quite small, but actually we totally underestimated it and it was a lot harder free climbing than we expected. Um, and terrible weather, like snowing. Like I don't think I've had to manage the cold as much as I had uh, before that first wall. And then we also had like science projects that we were doing as well. And we, we topped out on that first wall and it was like a snowstorm on an ice cap and we had to like get in a tent and then ski for a week. (laughs) And then 
climb the second wall. So it's like really unusual because it's like usually you climb the wall and then you like get to rest and chill and refuel and stuff, right? But this was like constant. And then the final wall, like we didn't have the helicopter drop off that we needed. So we actually didn't have half the equipment that we needed. For example, like the team of five of us or whatever on the wall, like I think maybe only we had like one or two Dumas between us. So we're using like micro tractions to ascend 500 meters of fixed rope. And I don't think we had any Grigories. I didn't have my climbing shoes. It's really weird. Like people think, oh, you're on this big TV expedition. Everything's just like organized and ready for you. But there comes a cost. Yeah, we'd never have been able to do what we did without all of that financing and the helicopter support and all of the planning and logistics. But also you basically the challenges that you set for yourself become more audacious. Um, So it means like if one thing goes wrong, you're in trouble. So yeah, it's really it. And then obviously the fact the final wall as well. Like I don't know if any of you have seen photos of it, but it's like a monster wall, like kind of more of like a mountain in a way, like a sea mountain, because <laughs> it's just massive and like so three D. It's kind of like more like being on the Eiger or something than being on El Cap, and so much more loose. Like the scale of everything in Greenland's insane. So what looks like this really nice clean wall from a distance, when you get up to it, you realize it's like like a ledge, a fifty meter deep ledge, just piled high with like all the sizes of choss you can imagine. And like you've got to get across it with like four of your team members below you. <laughs> you know, like it was pretty full on. But it was really cool. I mean, like definitely one of the coolest places I've ever been for sure like proper adventure how close did you guys come to ever pulling the plug on climbing that thing or i mean i alex mentioned like ripping an anchor out what were were there discussions or was it just like we go forward because it's been funded and we're doing it there were discussions but alex wasn't part of them (laughs) (laughs) i I wish i'd listened to that podcast with him first because i'd love to hear what he says about it like three months on (laughs) Um, oh, there was a lot of discussions, yeah, but he he actually wasn't in them. Oh <laughs> you my guys God. were like pulling, uh, choosing straws to see who was going to push him overboard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, honestly, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I'm so intrigued to see like what they'll actually tell in the documentary. Um, but basically, you know what Alex is like. He was just full steam ahead. Like you know his his ideas around risk are just. His tolerance is just so much different to everyone else's. Um, And so like the other main climbers or people on the wall were myself, Mikey Schaefer and Aldo. And then Pablo was shooting, Pablo Durano. Mikey was not psyched on the risk. Um, I wasn't psyched. Basically, I think I was a bit between Alex and Mikey. I think Mikey basically like for the risk level, wasn't maybe motivated enough. You've basically got to be really psyched, like really psyched to be up there for yourself, not for the fact that you're making a film or whatever. I was really psyched to be up there, but just wanted to make sure that we took like every precaution that we could take, even if that meant like compromising some of the shots that we could get and stuff. And that's what the compromise we came to in the end. When we actually committed to the wall, it was just myself and Alex. 
Swinging Leads and Pablo films a little bit. And then actually we were kind of on our own for like the last, I don't know, 300 meters or something of the wall. And it was just drone shots. And it was too sketchy even to abseil in from the top and like shoot the final pitch. So like we properly compromised on the filming. But I think for everyone to be happy, like I just really didn't want to knock a rock on someone's head or have basically having people above or below you on that kind of terrain is just super sketch. Yeah, we we talked about it a lot and but it was just interesting because some of us wanted to talk about it more than others and some of us had different levels of risk tolerance and so it's tricky trying to balance all of that out on a trip like that and people have different agendas too, right? Like the production want to make the best possible film. They also don't want anyone to get hurt, but they also don't understand the risk. So, yeah, it, it was it was um, tricky at times, for sure. But it all worked out. <laughs> well, one of the reasons that we brought you on today is to hear about your work as a mental training coach and talk about some of the stuff you're doing there. But maybe a, a good segue into that is to just hear your gloss on what separates Honold from other climbers. You guys have done lots of trips together. You've climbed with him quite a bit. He clearly has some mental facilities or perhaps, you know, some wires crossed or it's unclear exactly what's going on with Alex, but there's something special about him that, that kind of, um, inures him to, to fear and so forth. And so I'd love to hear your kind of professional take and just having spent a lot of time with Alex on, on what is, what is it about him that, that gives him the abilities that he's known for. And, and can I add one other thing though, is that you know, coming from you, Hazel, you talked about risk in that last segment just now, and you're not someone who's, who shies away from it, uh, necessarily, you know? And, and so, you know, it's like, it's like a person like me looking at both of you guys is I think about, well, how do they do it? Like, how is their, you know, how are they wired to, to take in the, the dangers that they do? So I think that's also part of an interesting perspective that you might have on, on the both of you actually as a comparison. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think, you know, when it's yourself, you think that you you have a perfectly appropriate relationship with risk because that's what you've decided, right, for you personally. So, you know, I know that Alex thinks that he has an extremely appropriate relationship with risk, and I think the same about myself. I don't think that I risk my life more than other people do. Um, it's just that if you... I guess, you know, like a normal person walking down the street thinks that, that you're, that you guys are really risky, right? They probably think that indoor climbing is all a matter of perspective, right? And, mm -hmm. a, and experience means a lot. And I don't think that Alex is actually as reckless as people, I think, think that he is because he's very measured, actually, and he's very calculating and he thinks a lot about it. And he does love his life. He's not like some like dark person who like doesn't care if he dies, right? He's got a lot to live for. <laughs> I do think there might be something else though with with Alex. I mean, Andrew, you asked like, you know, what's different about him? Yeah, we know from from research that um our predisposition towards anxiety and reactivity is part genetic part experience and everyone's going to be somewhere on that scale and it just so happens that Alex is really far 
on one end of that spectrum and he happens to rock climb, right? So it's this kind of magic combo of someone who doesn't seem to be very emotionally reactive um, and enters a sport which which you do really well at if you aren't emotionally reactive, right? Um, but, you know, some, sometimes I do question Alex's reasoning a little bit and I think that it, it's a, I don't know, maybe this is a bit, um, maybe this is a bit too much information or a bit personal or something, but his identity is completely bound up in that too now. And so it's going to be pretty hard for him to, like, can, can we make those decisions perfectly ever? And I sometimes wonder whether Alex could benefit from slightly more reflection. Maybe let's put it that way what i would say (laughs) yeah i mean i think that we all have uh we're all in danger of identifying too closely with with our the identities that we've come to hold and view of ourselves and those are traps that we all fall into um i I, want to linger a little bit about on this idea about emotions though and how that plays into this picture of of being a mentally strong and capable climber because emotions are obviously part of who we are as humans and, but you know, people like you and Alex, I I wouldn't call you guys robotic and by any means, but you do have a dispassionate approach to your emotional regulation. Is that important for success in climbing? Is that something that you're just kind of naturally dispossessed to in terms of your personality and how you have always, you know, viewed your emotions or is this something that can be practiced and cultivated? Yeah, I mean, I personally wouldn't consider myself that dispassionate um, around my emotional responses. Like, I, I'm that person who cries in the movies. Like, you know, talk to my boyfriend about this and he will laugh at you for saying that, you know. <laughs> like, certain I, time I in the month. I movies as well. I, I, like, literally just something on the on the radio. It doesn't even have to be, like, that heartbreaking or that sad. It literally could just be some story about some nurse working in the NHS or something and I'll start crying. So I think it is something that can be trained and I don't think I'm particularly unique in my reactivity or responsiveness. I kind of think that Alex is, but it's interesting with Alex because he can be reactive in other ways. Like he can get kind of like annoyed by things. So it's not like he's just like default non-reactive, right? Like some sort of like interpersonal stuff and like group dynamics and things he can he can react be quite reactive like anyone is right it's not like he's this sort of like buddha zen person who's just like calm in every situation like he gets irritated by things but i think when it comes to like specifically just sort of risk and fear he doesn't he seems to be able to not like not respond he doesn't get that strong threat response. I don't think I've seen him have that threat response that so many of us have of like, you know, the classic raised heart rate, sweaty palms, shaky legs, too much muscle tension. Like he's just pretty relaxed on the wall at all times. And maybe I I can stay relaxed quite well, but it's definitely something I've practiced for sure. And I think that self-awareness of your own stress responses is something that's really important and it's something that we teach a lot um at strong mind and through our courses and things and you you really need to be connected to to those body signals basically 
I'm just glad he found rock climbing and he's not some hideous billionaire that's like giants and like fucking with people. So yeah, I mean, let's he just could, be he thankful. Could, yeah, he could be on the stock exchange, couldn't he? Right. Just making bets every day. Right. <laughs> Taking old people's pensions away. Um, yeah. Wolf of Wall Street style. Yeah. So yeah. let's just thank God he's a, just a rock climber. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, before we, we try move- to get Alex Honnold mentioned in every episode, just so we <laughs> yeah. keep up our downloads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a game we play. Yeah, yeah. Before enough. before we move on to uh, hearing more about your course, Hazel, maybe uh, another big highlight for you last year was I, I believe you climbed to nine A. Was that your first nine A, or am I am I getting that right? Yeah, that, yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. I think I spoke with Chris about it on the note. I still can't today. believe it. Yeah, and he was like, I can't believe you did that. And I was like, part of me was like, thanks. And part of me was like, is I that just an insult? <laughs> like, I've got video footage. I can prove it. Uh-huh. It's all fakeable. <laughs> deep fakes. Yeah. You can make a pretty good climbing career off deep fakes soon. <laughs> Answer it like we never talked about it, Hazel. Um, wait, I don't even remember the question now. Oh, the 9A, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that actually happened. I did climb it. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah, I don't know. What do you want to know? <laughs> well, I mean, it, I think it just kind of, I, I guess it's really just to mention it. I mean, it's part of a year that you've had that included, you know, Greenland big wall adventure expeditions and also really high-end sport climbing. So maybe the a better question is just about, do you feel like last year was like a breakthrough year for you? Did you have like a something that shifted for you or I mean you've always been kind of able to operate in all different realms of rock climbing really well but it seemed like last year was significant yes it's really weird last year because on paper it looks like such a cool year right like climbing 9a and putting up two new big wall first ascents but that's all I did from a climbing perspective like the whole rest of the year I was basically injured so in the face of it, it's like this really cool year, but I actually didn't climb that much apart from those two trips. Mm. It's a weird year in my mind. Um, and I'm actually just super grateful that the injuries I had did not fall on the important trips. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just a cool year. I mean, to do those two different, they're just on either ends of the spectrum of climbing, right? And such different experiences. There's probably not a single hard move on that last big wall that we did, but so much more challenging in certain ways than climbing 9A. So it was just like a really cool year as like a reminder of how different rock climbing can be, Um, but how cool it all is, you know? Like I don't think I'm like, oh, one's cooler than the other. It's just I personally get a lot out of that diversity in rock climbing. You have this uh, program or business called strong mind climbing um and uh you appear to be coaching people um just on sort of improving their mental approach to to climbing so i just ask you about what makes alex honnold exceptional mentally but maybe you could tell us what makes the rest of us average um mentally (laughs) what do most people struggle with how are they mentally weak and um you know, t- tell us what we are all already know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would put it in that in that way. Um, this is why I get into trouble. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I think I think the thing that people mostly struggle with is literally not paying any attention to their minds whatsoever. As a community, that's what we're really bad at. We do a sport that's so psychologically uncomfortable, and yet all we talk about is like how many pull-ups you can do, and you know, like sometimes like people will talk about that stuff, but they talk about it in quite a fixed way. Often, it's like I'm a scared climber. I can't do this because I get scared in those situations or that's too uncomfortable for me. It's not, I get scared in these situations, so let's see what I can do about it. I think there's a lack of conversation around mental training or psychology in general in climbing. And then also there's like certain intuitions around what it looks like. Like we don't often think it's something we can work on or train or acquire knowledge in and use that knowledge to be better climbers and happier people so that's kind of what strong mind's all about it's like helping people build stronger minds so they can climb harder but also so they can enjoy climbing more and we find the two things often go hand in hand like you know so some people might come to us with like fear of falling or fear of failure and like yeah, when they learn how to fall, they can climb harder, but they're also having so much more fun because all of a sudden they can actually focus on the climbing rather than just be like thinking about getting to the next bolt or getting to the next piece or whatever. And the same with fear of failure. Fear of failure can actually prevent people from even trying a climb in the first place. It can prevent them from getting on the climbs that are actually the right challenge level for them in that moment. Um, and so when they work on that fear of failure, then they can start challenging them, themselves to the right level, which means they just get so much more out of the climbing. So I really like the work I do because I think it is like improving people's experiences, basically. And that's sort of why we do it, isn't it? Right. It's not just to like tick the boxes. It's actually to have um, a good time where we do it. The first kind of mental training thing I remember uh, you know, in sort of a semi-formal way it was Rock Warrior's Way. And of course, Arno, you know, created a, a long-standing program out of that. And reading that book, I reviewed it actually years and years ago for Rock and Ice. You know, it was a lot about the fear of falling. And it seems like we've sort of been stuck on that as mental training for a long time. And uh, and certainly it's still relevant and, and it sounds like it's still a basis of, of what you do. But can you talk a little bit about you know, maybe some different specific threads that you go on as far as, as training people, even people who come in and say, you know, my main thing is fear of falling. Maybe you have these realizations that, well, it's part of it, but here's some other stuff. Um, you mentioned just enjoying climbing, but uh, I don't know if you're able to elucidate, you know, again, some of these different threads where you've moved on from from that one, which again is, is the one we've talked about for a really long time in climbing, but maybe never moved on too far from that. Yeah, we've talked about it for a long time in climbing, but I think you'd be surprised, you know, within the groups people you hang out with, it's probably not an issue for people maybe so much. Right. But you'd be surprised, you know, that on our Strong Mind Instagram, how many people believe that you should not fall when you climb. So, like, we've got stuck on it as being like, this is what mental training for climbing is. Mm -hmm. But there's also people who haven't yet realized that, Falling is something that you want to practice and you want to be comfortable doing. Obviously, you know, there's some styles of climbing that you don't, but so yeah, I just want to say that because 
that might be how it seems from you from your perspective but there's a lot of climbers out there who don't actually fall off in an indoor bouldering gym I've never learned to fall off an indoor bouldering gym so Mm. still a massive issue for sure but yeah other fears other stuff I mean I guess a lot of what I do is like removing barriers or like psychological limitations so that people can climb as they'd like to climb so like obviously some of that's fear of falling or just general stress of being up there on a wall I think we forget how stressful climbing is like we're literally hanging to the edge of a rock face and like that's stressful (laughs) and then a lot of it's around performance anxiety so really wanting to achieve and really wanting to get to the top can be okay and work for you from a performance perspective to a point but there's a point also where it becomes really distracting and that can be distracting for you when you're on the climb but it can also be like a real limitation to you, like in a more global sense. You know, there could just be a lot of negativity around your climbing and you're doing things maybe like from a place of fear, like I'm scared of not being the climber that climbs this grade. I'm scared of being the worst climber in my friendship group. Basically just like a lot of fear-based motivations, external extrinsic motivations are very common among climbers. Climbing's very black and white in terms of whether you succeed or fail so like having people like really orient themselves around the successes in climbing and success meaning really quite explicitly sending a certain grade and basically not really having like a learning approach to climbing and developing your climbing irrespective of the kind of the grades that you tick so that's quite common But then what I also really love to do is like less about removing those barriers and more about actually optimization. And I think that's what people really miss around psychology and and mental performance is like if you take any other sport in the world, like an established sport, those athletes are going to have sports psychologists, coaches. They're going to be optimizing how they use their attention in the moment, what they focus on, rituals, routines, They're going to be meditating every day. We don't do any of that in climbing yet. I mean, maybe some people are thinking about it. So I've like started working with some like higher end athletes and it's just really nice actually to go, okay, there's not really that many big barriers, but let's see if you could like focus even more on your project or like when it comes to competition day, let's have your attention be 100% focused in the moment and you're like, in flow state and this is like the best performance of your life on this day so that's really cool to to do that as well because instead of like fixing things it's more around like optimizing people's performance uh, one of the things that i think is just worth highlighting here that i think is so important and, and really endears me to your program hazel is is this um experience centered approach to improvement as opposed to performance or r- rather performance is sort of the secondary fallout of focusing on the experience and focusing on a good mentality and tapping into an ability to maximize the strength that you already have and use it to its fullest potential as opposed to getting 10% stronger, but still having those mental limitations that, that are holding you back. But I would imagine that this kind of approach to training is harder to sort of analyze or quantify or really just show proof points around. So how, how do people recognize that they've improved uh, mentally how i mean like for example if you you know are 
recording your max hangs for hangboarding or something, you can see numbers on a piece of paper and you can watch them go up or down or plateau and and adjust accordingly. But with this approach, how do you do that? What's the what's the way to measure what it is that you're doing? Yeah, it's difficult. It's it's really difficult. But you know, there is this um subject, it's called psychology. And there's like a bunch of research methods in psychology and there's papers on in sports psychology and you can read them and people have analyzed performance in different ways. Um, but yeah, if you're just, you know, you're at your home and you're, you're your own experiment, I think there's a few things like keeping a journal and tracking how you feel, um, is really useful, but I think that's not going to be that useful for you until you build self-awareness around certain indicators of performance and sort of like how you feel in your body so like your body tension is a good one you know can you can you check in with yourself on a climb and be like okay how much extra body tension is there and how much of that is down to stress why is there that stress there is it because there's performance anxiety I mean you don't have to do this all the way through a route but just checking in with those signs that you could be overly stressed checking in and seeing what thoughts are going through your mind so like when you're climbing are you actually thinking or are you focused on the climbing so you kind of have to like explore your internal world a little bit more to be able to start effectively tracking like some of the athletes I've worked with around more of this performance stuff and like trying to access flow is I might get them to like actually have a flow rating of like one being or like zero being like pretty distracted, like actually thinking about something when they're climbing and 10 being like those magical flow moments where like everything drops away and you're just totally focused on the moves. You know, trying a boulder problem and like giving yourself a flow rating, giving yourself a tension rating. You could even give yourself like a distraction rating or like how many negative thoughts are popping up in your mind in that moment. But I think you know, once people start going on a, a bit of a journey with their psychology and climbing, it becomes pretty self-evident when you're making progress. But like having something written down helps with that because you can also forget like where you started from sometimes as well. Yeah, that's interesting because I think one of the fallouts of having this not be um, at the forefront of most climbers' minds when they when it comes in terms of mental training that just having that on your radar is something to be thinking about is that we actually don't know, we aren't thinking about what, what it is that we need to improve mentally. And so we, we don't realize that we're distracted or we don't realize that we're fearful in one way or that fear is manifesting in, in, uh, in some way that we might interpret as just being weak or just being not good enough or just being um, sort of a, an inherent trait or a characteristic and an immutable characteristic of our personality that could never be improved upon. Um, and so what, what would you say to people who are listening to this and they're like, I'm fine. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, when do you start interrogating the things that you need <laughs> to, uh, interrogate to, you know, to, to go on this journey? Yeah. yeah you it, could it, just, you could just say this directly to me, like, because <laughs> I'm that person. Okay. Like, so I'm just like, I fell because I'm weak and I suck. And that's like, yeah, that's the end of my mental training. Um, so, yeah. So this will, if you want to just direct it towards instead of a, a vague person. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is one of the most tricky things about mental training and psychology, and actually is going to be, you know, from a complete like selfish business point of view, how to reach people that don't know that they might benefit from your services, right? So, I know if anyone's listening here and they're like, "Oh, like Chris," <laughs> like you could just start checking in with yourself. So like you could just like a few times a day, like maybe before you go climbing, maybe in the car, maybe before you tie in, maybe on the rest of a climb and maybe when you come down from a climb and you could just ask yourself, okay, what do I feel like actually in my body and what am I thinking about right now? And you might notice that like, you know, there's like you're breathing in your chest quite a lot instead of deep belly breathing that you might do if you were more relaxed or you might notice that you're making a lot of excuses in your mind about why you don't want to try the climb or you might be worried about certain outcomes but then what you say to your friend out loud is different from those internal thoughts that you're having and there could be a discontinuity there so basically it's just like starting to pay attention a bit more essentially to like what's going on with your psychology I think one of the best things you can do to train that apart from doing those check-ins is start start a meditation practice. Even just five, 10 minutes of the day, you're actually just checking in with your mind when it's not in a distracted state. We spend so much of our time like looking at a phone, a computer, then talking to someone and then you're climbing. You know, and the, probably one of the reasons why we all like climbing so much is because it's actually a moment where our minds are most empty compared to other moments of the day I didn't realize how not self-aware I was um until I did a 10-day meditation course and that just blew my mind because I was like what is even happening in my head it's just like what what drivel are you coming out with in your mind constantly <laughs> so yeah just like checking in just like paying attention being curious about it and then you'll start to notice things and then you'll start to ask questions and then, you know, then you might change some of the things. And you know, this, you're probably doing more than you think, like even just setting goals or intention for the intentions for the day, I would consider to be mental training or even just like giving yourself a bit of time before you get on a climb or like lowering the challenge level when you've had a busy, stressful day or you've had a poor night's sleep. These are all types of mental training interventions so I think people feel like really disconnected from like what mental training is and what it could be but chances are you're probably already doing something you just don't call it that yet you know you mentioned how like you know if we kind of got out of our bubble you know to the greater world of climbing we'd realize that you know like you said people there's out there thinking that falling is not a part of climbing and you know all these things that we've accepted you know as, as you got into this as a field because it's been gradual you know, you didn't just jump online and create six six week courses and things like that. It's been a gradual thing. What were some of your sort of empathetic moments once you stepped outside of your bubble? Like, you know, how strong some of these feelings people had, and and sort of maybe the barriers that you were like, whoa, that's that's something I never even considered um, when you've started working with clients. Does that question make make sense? Can you think of something like that? I think for your average climber, I think fear of falling when you start looking is like much more pervasive than you think it is. 
And also attitudes about falling are probably more outdated than you think they are. I mean, the thing is, like, I, you know, I get scared to fall f- for sure time to time, but I, I'm really confident in the processes that I use to make sure that that's not a limitation. So it, it isn't something that really worries me anymore. It doesn't mean I don't have to do full practice. I do, um, but I just know how to do it and I know that it works. But one thing that I did realize is that I've learned a lot about like fear deconditioning and stuff. And I think that like my levels of fear of falling didn't really require the kind of approach that a lot of people in our community need. Um, For some people, that fear is really ingrained um, for different reasons. The main one being actually that they have spent an entire career as a climber ingraining that fear further through having experiences that they don't have the resources to deal with yet. So when I started working with people, basically, I thought, oh, well, they just need to practice falling and like they'll just get over there through falling. And I think like that's what a lot of people think. And that can work for some people. But for some people where the fear is really ingrained, it has to be a much more careful, considered approach where the line between over challenging yourself and having a fall that actually ingrains that fear even deeper, the difference between doing that and not challenging yourself at all i.e avoiding falling is actually like a very fine line to tread and is really difficult for some people to do it so that's one of the big eye-opening things for me was like okay wow this this actually is not an easy fix for a lot of people um it's funny because it's funny because you i've done the thing where like i'm on a climb and i'm scared of the fall i know it's safe and so i i take i like take the fall you know, the big whipper on a clean sport car or whatever. And almost 100% of the time, it makes me more scared of the fall. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, so that's what people so, do. It's, like, yeah. it's <laughs> such a bad thing to do because now I'm like, oh, God, that was scary. Yeah. And it's going to be scarier again. Like, yeah. So, and now so, I'm anticipating it. So, yeah, that that at least simple method is totally fucked. Like, no, it does me. not work. And <laughs> that's one of the kind of the myths that's pervasive right. among. And, and so what the problem is, is that has like, huge negative ripples because it also means that you think the full practice doesn't work then you know what I mean so then you're just like well I just avoid it and so I have to do it and then I'll do it and then I'm stressed and this and then you know it's probably not limited you loads you've probably managed it fairly well and you're climbing I'd imagine but like for some people it's that constant forcing themselves to take those falls which seriously creates this real threat response like ingrained like to the point where it's almost like a trauma response so basically it's like you know you probably would have been fine if you'd said like come back down said take on the bolt gathered yourself taken a small fall at the bolt taken a slightly bigger one and made sure that each fall was relaxed before you did the big fall you know <laughs> but you didn't you just skipped all the steps yeah <laughs> I'm it's your like, nightmare client, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The day you see me sign up, you're going to be like, oh, Jesus, here we go. Clear my clear my schedule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Just tie um, you into the end of the rope and push you off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing our intuitions on that. Because if you said, okay, 
What's the best way to cure someone's um, arachnophobia, like a fear of spiders? You would never say to them, jump in a bath of spiders. You would say, watch a documentary where the spiders are really fun and nice and they're totally not in the same room as you. And then maybe you see a spider for like a distance, you know, like you have all, you start to make these positive associations with spiders and then you like work up to like maybe being in the same room as a spider. But like, for some reason, we don't have those same intuitions when it comes to fear of falling. It's really weird to me. Like, I spoke even to Tommy Caldwell about this, and he was like, oh, I wanted to get um, used to all the big falls on Dornwall. So he did that huge fall on the top of El Cap, and he totally freaked him out. And he said the fear was way worse. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, like, even, like, the leaders in our sports are just, like, doing stupid things like this. That's amazing. That's awesome. Well, good. At least me and Tommy are in this, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, if I'm thinking the way he company. is, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a, one other sort of nuts and bolts question. Um, you know, you've got courses, I think, I don't know if you um, still coach one-on-one, that sort of thing, but tell me a little bit about the product. So, yeah, I started off just doing like one-to-one coaching over Zoom and then workshops, and then now... We have the online courses, um, which are sort of mostly like video lessons. Some of the courses that we run are like cohort based. So you go through the course with a bunch of students together, which adds a really nice component, actually, because you get to share experiences and learn from each other and stuff. And that honestly is like one of the bigger takeaways, I think, is that some people feel like they're really alone with how like the relationship they have with climbing and it being kind of like sometimes a, like a fear-based relationship or they feel like they're maybe not as resilient as the other climbers in their life. And so having this group of people who are like, oh my God, I'm really struggling with this as well is really powerful. The main course that we have is a strong mind course and it's there's got a lot of content in it. There's like a mindset chapter. So it's sort of like taking certain mindset shifts to like kind of prioritize learning, take responsibility for your experience, like some stuff on growth mindset. And then there's like a really massive chapter on what we call knowledge and understanding, which is it's really learning about like the science of stress and fear. And then also how to like be more self-aware of what's going on in the in the mind and body. And then there's like a bit, a chapter on falling, a chapter on fear of failure and social fears, and then like a final chapter on sort of like what to do when you leave the course. And then in terms of, sort of like what takeaways, it is a tricky part of mental training, what to actually apply, but there are practices, homework tasks. Some of them are like more nebulous than others. You know, it might be just around like setting particular intentions for your session. So instead of going into a session and being like, what's the hardest grade I can climb today? It'd be like, okay, what are the things that I'm actually working on today? Okay, I want to work on like this self-limiting belief that I have that I'm like not a powerful climber. So what does that look like for me? How am I going to choose boulder problems and climbs that allow me to work on these processes that I'm working on? And then some of them is like actual like instructions. So like instructions for how to do a full practice the theory behind why we do the full practice in a certain way. And then a lot of it's um, self-reflection as well. So like we have a bunch of um, what we call reflective questions, which are really just like getting you to explore 
your experience and how you'd like it to be different. And yes, like meditate certain meditations, like other other tools as well to use in the moment, like breathing tools, focusing tools, mantras, rituals, some basic sports psychology, basically, but then combined with a lot of this fear management stuff as well. As we kind of do physical training, you know, we're always talking about, oh, here's my weakness. This is what I'm working on right now. You know, I, I can't do you know, power. I can't do this. I can't do that. So that's what I'm going to be working on. What's your, what's your little mental tick list of, of your game and what you're going to bring to 2023 as far as this is what Hazel Finley, the coach is working on with herself as far as mental training this year. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that like most of my mental training now is like more directed towards my business rather than my climbing. (laughs) It's like, I've gone through a big journey with my mental training and climbing. And I think I've got it into a pretty good place. It's not to say that it, that journey's ended by any means. And, you know, a lot of the climbing that we have in the UK is kind of bold. So there's a whole process that goes into the trad season starting and being very careful about how I like build up the challenge level of trad on site in the UK. But a lot of the ongoing self-development kind of struggles and areas to grow are with just work-life balance, um, what I want to do with my business, how to make decisions about my business, how to interact with the other people that work in my business, how I want to like be perceived by the people who follow what I do, how that plays out with my confidence, self-esteem. Is anything limiting me? Am I not doing the best I could do at what I'm trying to do. It's all around that stuff for me. Um, if only Honold had which, gone and gone um, to Wall Street, he could give you some advice on how to yeah. optimize your business. Yeah. I'm sure he'd give you some advice on it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> totally, <laughs> yeah. um, what about approaching, uh, you mentioned being injured a lot this year. You know, What about your mental game? I mean, it's one of the most I think difficult thing for high performance climbers to, to deal with is, is getting benched. As as we might say, by a by a injury. How's your approach doing with that? So we might say yeah. the junior varsity little league <laughs> team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've spent so much of my climbing life injured. I'm currently injured. I had a labrum tear. It's so funny, like Greenland, such a dangerous trip. Three days after I get back, I'm on one of those like rental electric bikes in London fall off it give myself a labrum tear can't climb for six weeks <laughs> oh no so like recovered from that and now I have like some finger issues I need to sort out so yeah it's something I struggle with for sure and like life is just not as sweet when you can't climb to your limit and not be free of worrying about your body but I don't think I would have a coaching business or do any of this stuff if I had never been injured so I also like feel grateful as well for the injuries I've had in my life. And it's just like, I think sometimes you just have to say as well that this is a bit shit. I'm going to try my best, but like, there's no magic wand where you're just like, oh, I'm totally happy with this state of affairs. You also just have to accept sometimes that you can be unlucky and have a bit of a shit time too. Um, is that in the small print on your mental training course? Like, <laughs> yeah. It says disclaimer, <laughs> life is shit your, and you, you yeah, can't expect yeah. anything good to happen to you. 
<laughs> Pretty much, yeah. 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 I mean, acceptance is probably one of the, the best uh, mental training tools that you could have, to be fair. Um, but it, yeah, it doesn't sell well. It's not as good as those magic fixes. <laughs> well, that's why I'm, I'm always going to go to a British coach. Uh, as far as that's concerned because they aren't gonna they aren't gonna like mess around with like everything's gonna be fine yeah Yeah. it's funny sometimes when people like keep asking me questions and i'm like well at some point it's like this is just gonna be a bit hard for you (laughs) like i don't know (laughs) like there's just all the stuff takes practice and i think that's actually one of the other myths in psychology is either people think it's easy and that like some tool is going to suddenly mean that you're like super focused on the climbing or you can't change your psychology at all. It's like, you feel like so many climbers are stuck in one of those two boats and it's like, like anything it's in the middle. It's like you would never approach physical training from the point of this exercise is going to make me as strong as Adam Andra or physical training doesn't work at all there's no point doing it. You go, no, the truth is somewhere in the middle. This is going to take time, energy, persistence, practice. And even when I've done all those things, I might not even get the results that I want. I mean, how many of us have committed to fingerboarding for like three months and it's not even like <laughs> improved your finger strength, right? But we still do it because we believe that like the practice works, but we don't have the same approach to mental training. So I think like, yeah, it's just, it's just shifting our intuitions a little bit um, could be helpful. Sometimes here at The Runout, some of the best stuff happens after we think the interview is officially over. I always love chatting with you guys because it's so, so uh, core, you know? I don't need to... There's no... Yeah, there's just no... There's no quality control. You know, you just say whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) The Rope Guns over at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Get those often hilarious and candid outtakes, along with dedicated bonus episodes, including our upcoming review of the awesome and oft-maligned movie Cliffhanger. For all the goods, and to support the normal spray too, Head over to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. We wouldn't be doing this without our rope guns. On today's final bit, we bring you a bedroom garage band project from Colorado-based climber, photographer, and dad, Celine Serbo. In the last couple years, Celine managed to learn guitar, garage band, and put together a six-song project called Sancho, available at Reverb Nation all while raising up a toddler. No mean feat. Here, we bring you the grunge-inspired Rome.
you've just finished another episode of the Runout Podcast. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And I'm Chris Kalous, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> because Chris at runoutpodcast.com is where emails go to die. That's true. We also have a Patreon that you can support our show at, and it's runoutpodcast.patreon.runoutpodcast.com. No, 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 no. It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Yes. <laughs> if you dream of sending 514 every month for the rest of your life, <laughs> you should go and sign up at patreon slash runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> no, pod.com slash runoutpodcast. Something like that. Give us some money.